Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today, is my guest is Stephen Glaud. He is a partner and VP of sales at Machinio, and he's also an angel investor based out of Berlin. Uh, really excited to have you on the show today. Uh, thanks, dude, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so you're living in Berlin, but you're not from Berlin, are you? No. Um, originally from Chicago, I guess. Originally, originally, I was, I was born in, in Seoul. Um, but adopted at six months old and uh, got lucky to come to, to, to America in Chicago. And I moved to Berlin just under three years ago. And why Berlin? Uh, our business. So Machinio is in Chicago as well as uh, Berlin. And, and ultimately, you know, we were probably doing around 15% of our business in Europe kind of going back and forth. Um, we are in the used machinery business. So Germany being like the manufacturing, one of the manufacturing capitals of the world, we kind of said, well, Germany definitely is, uh, is the place four times per capita in terms of our customer profile, the people who sell the used machinery. And um, why Berlin? Uh, the other reasons, most economical place to start a business in Germany uh tech city and lastly just the easiest to you know get get great talent from all all different all different parts of the world that's an interesting part about berlin because it's like a not only the kind of the cultural center of germany and not exactly the culture ceremony germany but but it's it seems to be the cultural center of europe so it's like all europeans kind of end up in berlin all creative or kind of like interesting you know, it's a big kind of magnet for, for those type of creative people. Um, would that, is that accurate? Oh yeah, definitely a melting pot. Um, and I think now that it's getting the resources, you know, private equity f funding, venture funding, um, and you combine that with the creatives and a lot of smart people from different cultures, different perspectives. I think the ecosystem is, is certainly, uh, at a trajectory to, I, I, kind of neck and neck with London. So could be, uh, could be really the next, one of the next epicenters for, for tech. Hmm. Interesting. And machine stuff, used machines, uh, is that like big, you know, machines that are used on, on roadways or is it like smaller machinery? Yeah. So maybe a little context. The, the business is, is similar to, uh, it's a search engine for all kinds of used machinery. So we connect buyers and sellers, from across the world and essentially partner found it extremely cumbersome to find a printing press. One of his uh, 
mutual friends was trying to look for it in Ecuador, found it really, like I said, cumbersome to find. And America's pretty big on search engines, obviously Google, but hotels and flights and cars, et cetera, et cetera. So there wasn't uh, a, a comprehensive place. There's a really a search discovery problem trying to find what you're looking for. So partner, uh, you know, aggregated from all different sources across the world and, and, and built a platform that was more comprehensive uh, to, to find what you're looking for. So uh, to, to answer also your question is any kind of industrial equipment on the use side is, is uh, the, spans the entire vertical. So construction, metalworking, printing, biomass plants, processing packaging, any kind of industrial machine, um, you know, we, we, we cover. That's really interesting because I, I, I had lived in Colombia a while ago and a friend of mine, he's Colombian. It was actually my first friendship I've ever had in another language. And he had this idea, which was that in the U.S., we have a lot of construction equipment, like you're saying. Uh, and then in Colombia, it's very hard to get and there's really high taxes on it. But then if you got it used and imported it, you could, you could essentially get it for much cheaper and something that wouldn't necessarily be of huge value in the United States would be of huge value in Colombia. And so he was actually working on that and this seems pretty applicable to him. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to send it over to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, and then what, what, you know, I got introduced to you through my friend, Henry, Henry Meyer, and, and he um, says that you're really good at this kind of systematizing business. That's, would you say that's your skill or what would, what would your main skill be? Yeah. And it's certainly a skill. Um, I've learned by in the last few years, I think growing the business from the U S scaling it out there and then coming to Europe, I think you get better and better at um, understanding process and kind of working backwards. So I think, you know, now um, it's definitely a skill that I've learned from my partner quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, And being more of an operator, than you know the original salesman that I that I started off to be. Mm. Um, I think every entrepreneur is, but as you as you grow as a company and you 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 need to figure out how can you f- fit a process to a larger scale. Mm. Um, that's definitely something that uh, I've gained, and I think anyone can as well. So that's really interesting because you started out in a sales role and then you went to as the uh, business started to demand a different set of requirements you learned from would you say that you primarily learned from um, like you had a mentor that's your business partner or was it that you had a mentor but also learned on the on the go yeah both I think mentor definitely my my partner is the CEO Um, I think you know consultants or people who have worked on a lot of different business problems you get really good at trying to be as effective and efficient. Um, and so he already kind of had that skill set. I learned from him and, and yeah, you, you learn by doing, you, you know, I think in any startup, you, you really try to come up with some thesis. Um, but you really got to kind of break things and, and learn from the mistakes. And, uh, so, so that you can, you know, better, better come up with, 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 uh, with how to, how, how to find a better solution. Mm-hmm. And 
what was the hardest part about making that transition? What was the kind of discomfort associated with that? And how did you work through that? In terms of um, process or just like the, the scaling part? And I asked that. Go yeah, in terms of essentially you were in the sales role, the business required something different. Were you able, was it a pretty stress-free thing to essentially adapt to that changing requirement or was there an actual like discomfort or stress involved with that? Definitely stress. Um, the company I had started prior to Machinio you know, when you're doing everything by yourself, you know, BD sales, marketing, and, and you're, it really comes down to the human capital. Like you can figure out a lot of stuff by yourself. And then as you grow, you have to really, I think the hardest thing is trust. Um, you have to understand that, Hey, let's figure out a process. Let's, let's try it out. But you have to trust that the people are going to ideally execute. And I think, that was the most difficult thing for myself. And I think a lot of people who, you know, start businesses is you have to learn how to trust people that, you know, you employ. And um, because if you're going to scale, everything is about team. So I think the hardest thing was definitely the trust factor. Mm. And that's, and that's basically giving up control because you, you've got an idea of how to do something. You, you could do it if you had the time, but you no longer have the time. So you have to hire someone else to do it. And then you have to entrust them to do it without kind of micromanaging. Right. And I, I think that last part you said, I think something that I learned and you know, now I've managed a couple middle management and as you grow and you, you, know, you, you train or you help those under you to then scale what you just done, I think having them figure out for themselves. So that was very difficult for me to, instead of just delegating and mandating certain things, because you've, you've gone through this, this process, you've seen this before. Um, you need to have them build the skill. And so I had to learn the skill of, all right, for the manager under myself, you know, how do I help him build the skills that, you know, I've just done. Um, and that, that's tough too. So asking the right questions, having that person, um, not just being told what to do, but figure out how to do it themselves. Um, I think any book would tell you that too, uh, in, in management is, is learning a skill of teaching how to do, teaching someone how to do something without telling them exactly what to do. Which is interesting because I also see that as the main goal of therapy or coaching is, is to help someone solve their own problems as opposed to, I mean, you can solve their problem. You can help them solve their problems in the beginning, but ultimately the ultimate goal seems to be to help them solve their own problems, figure out how to solve their own problems. Oh yeah. Like providing a framework and just saying, you know, let's, let's hope that from A to B, like B is the right choice and we want to go there. However, we, you know, whatever circuitous path we get, take to get there. Um, but that's the framework, you know, figure out how to do it and uh, allow them to, and again, kind of goes back to that trust, allow them to, um, you know, and that inspires innovation too. Mm. Um, allow them to, to get there on their own um, without micromanaging as much as you can. And then how do you hire for, for that? When, how do you, before you, 
you know, when you're, when you're interviewing people, when you're evaluating people, how can you see whether they are um, able have a inclination or have the potential to solve their own problems? Wow. That's a really great question. Um, well, I think, like I said, and I think before we start this conversation, you know, the, these are skills also that I've learned. I think one sales, anyone will tell you it's a skill set. Um, you know, certain, certainly some people are a little bit more gregarious and outgoing and, you know, charming, um, are naturally great salespeople, but, um, it's just a skill set, Right. Um, and then secondly, when you talk about how can we, you know, forecast someone who perhaps, especially in a startup has never managed or, or scaled anything, how, how can you tell if this person's going to be capable of being a manager or upper or upper management? You don't, I don't think you, I don't think you possibly can because they're two different skill sets. Um, so what characteristics do you look for? Um, at least, and it's, it's an overplayed word, but I, I think it always describes the kind of people you look for in startups, which is just a hustler who is going to work really hard and try to be obsessive with trying to solve a problem and, you know, process and operations. You can gain those skills later, but you can never teach, um, you know, being someone who works really hard, which is obviously subjective, but, um, works really hard and is obsessed. I think obsessive is a really common uh, attribute among successful people. Mm -hmm. Where, uh, the, solving the problem is more important than, uh, than a lot of things. And yeah, and that's something I've uh, nuanced to what you just said that I've recently found out is that it's not necessarily like banging your head against a wall. It's, it's more, one of my previous guests, Francis, Francis Pedrosa, wrote this article on Medium about how it's how the work that's required today is not necessarily work in the sense of mechanical work. It's more of a psychic work where you have a problem in front of you. It's an abstract problem inside of your head, but it's also a, a practical problem that, of the business. But it's abstracting your head, and you're in the what you're talking about. I believe is this essentially like you're going to figure out the set of equations in in your work that requires you to finish it. So it's not necessarily that you're there working like 10 hours a day, uh, uh, like trying to, you know, bang it. This is hard for me to say, but it's not like you're working there 10 hours a day, trying to like um, in your body physically working there. It's like in your mind, you're crunching it from all different and you won't let, let it go without figuring out the pieces that need to be put into the puzzle piece in order to figure out the problem. Yeah. And I, I think I should also add that, you know, a lot of these things, and, and, and so if we go back to just hiring and we think about like a couple of those, those things I just said, and I'm, I'm sure everybody else knows the, they're competitive, they're, um, you know, obviously they're just in general they're you think they're smart, but the one thing I think as we look to the future, um, you know, every skill set, you know, even the skills that we're talking about are being commoditized right? Software or, or robots, all of these skills are. The one thing that I think still stands and, and will be for the, for the foreseeable future um, is, is certainly emotional intelligence. That's not something that you, um, I think it's very difficult to test for. Um, 
throughout the, the, you know, the, the interview and the hiring process. Um, and I think it's the one thing that makes or breaks great leaders, um, and managers. It's, it's really their EQ, um, which I believe is, and will be the one asset that, you know, it's like anything, if you can't quantify something, you know, which obviously emotions are extremely difficult. Um, I do believe we are still people doing business still requires, you know, a person or persons, um, whether that's sales, whether that's to the customer. Um, and so someone who really understands people well, mm. and that has the other objective skill set, right. Um, I think can be great, but that's hard to test for. Yeah. Well, that's it. That, so as what I'm getting from this is essentially as computers get better at IQ, uh, and anything objective and measurable will eventually be, um, turned into a process that can be used by a computer in order to reach those goals. The only thing that remains is subjective things. So it's like, um, for example, I, you know, I, I, I've been working on this new business and well, hopefully it'll be a business and I want to talk about that later, but, um, it, you know, I'm talking to various people at organizations and ultimately it comes down to a human being, who needs to listen to what I'm offering and then also make a decision. And that is an entirely subjective process because they have an awareness and the subjective understanding of what I'm presenting. Um, and that it's, it's totally up, up to them whether they make that yes or no decision to swipe the credit card. And that's the only thing that matters essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so EQ being this subjective kind of emotional, and it's not only emotional too, because there's an element of thought as well, because thought and emotions are wrapped up together. It's not like you can take away emotion from thought. And I don't mean thought in a purely IQ. IQ seems to like measure brute strength of thought. Um, but there's this subjective nature of thought, which we could get pretty deeply philosophical about as well. And that, that subjective nature of thought is very tied into emotions. They talk about emotions as a spectrum or emotions and thoughts are on a spectrum. Like the emotion is a, is connected to a thought. They're just one, they're one side of a coin basically. Yeah. I, I think when you think about, when you think about people who are, are, are great and success can be measured by, you know, obviously typically people measure it by certain economics, but I think they are people who can communicate things no matter whether that's objective or, or or subjective they communicate things in such a clear concise and simple way that no matter who um who they're communicating to they just um you know everything they say is profound they communicate something that could be complex and distilled it down to something that makes complete you know, sense that someone who's a, a first grade level would, would need to understand, right? Communication is just like so critical in all aspects of business. But I think um, that's what also makes great leaders is, is that is that you can communicate something very, very simply. Hmm. Which kind of gets into uh, Yuval Harari and a little bit of what I've been listening to of Jordan Peterson as well is that we are 
uh, the primary way that we've been able to take over the world as human beings is our ability to communicate with others and to share abstract concepts and abstract stories with each other that motivate us in order to uh, go after a common goal. Um, and like you're saying, that communication part is just so key and it's that ability to, and so that, that then leads me to ask myself the question and maybe ask you as well is like, what are the, is communication a skill that we can enhance? How do we enhance communication? I'm going to throw it out there that, you know, we were, before we started recording, you were talking about your German courses and you're taking three hours of German and that for me, you know, maybe for me, learning a language has been and living in another country and going across cross cultural barriers has been the most effective thing for me to learn how to communicate. Um, because that taught me all the ways that I was miscommunicating before in terms of my body language, in terms of the words that I would use. Um, because I, I had made so many mistakes in quote marks with my communication in other languages. Um, and that, for me, that feels like the biggest thing for, and then now I feel like I'm a pretty good communicator because I had all that practice in all these different languages where it was so easy to screw up. Uh, and now in English, it's like really easy for me to communicate. I'd be curious as to your answer on that. Oh yeah. Um, I think moving abroad, uh, to, to obviously Berlin, um, interacting with a lot of cultures. I am a huge traveler. I love to travel. I love to learn about culture. Um, but I think when you're traveling, you know, you're always on the go, you're always moving to the next place, but when you live somewhere and, and you having this experience, you really take in the culture. Now, sometimes some people take longer than others. I certainly took a little bit longer. Um, but I think you get to understand on a certain level how to communicate in a way that is, I think more diplomatic. Um, I think we, at least Americans, we're, we're kind of uh, we're kind of interesting. We're kind of weird people, and we, we we all see things through our one lens. You know, we're a country that you never have to leave. Which most I forget the percentage, but you know, thirty or forty percent don't even have a passport, right? And if they do, maybe they've went somewhere, maybe they haven't. Probably haven't left North America. So um, when you live somewhere that's foreign and has different rules and culture. You, you never realize how you communicate because you're not used to, unless you might live in New York or San Francisco, a few places in the world, or excuse me, in, in, in America that might have more of a melting pot of people. You're actually not aware of how you communicate to people. So um, since I've moved here, I've realized that, you know, you, you're a little bit more diplomatic. People are a bit more emotional. Um, so you really need to be more cognizant of how you convey your thoughts. And I do believe, like you said, in English and in, in America, I, I believe I can articulate myself a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, and that's from the experience, you know, living somewhere else. And that's, yeah, that's from the difficulty of trying to do it in another language in another culture, at least, or at least that has helped you to refine your communication in English. Or that's, that's what I, that's the story that I'm saying for myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I'd like to move in now to, I want you to help me rip apart uh, my business idea and well, and I've, I've gotten, I haven't started charging people yet, but I've got, a, 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 I've been getting it out there and getting feedback uh, and I want to start forming it into a business. And so the basic idea is I'm doing 
10 minute breathwork sessions throughout the day that are designed in order to fit into somebody's workday. Um, and they're live on Zoom. Uh, and so I've been going to different organizations and we've been, uh, I've been, I've been pitching them on it and a lot of them are interested. And, uh, and so now I'm, now I'm at the stage, I just had a conversation with somebody on Saturday and he, we came to the conclusion that uh, I want to build a curriculum. So I've, I've got this block for my own personality where it's like, I believe that methods and instruction and curriculums are, are not that valuable. What's valuable is the non-linear space where all of these things come out of. Um, but now I'm realizing that beginners, it's really hard for beginners to understand what I just said. So, uh, uh, so I, it is important for me to bring the essence down from this kind of creative non-linear space and put it into a curriculum. Uh, and I don't really have a question here. I'm just inviting you to yeah. pick apart what I just said. Well, one, I think, you know, having uh, been around a lot of startups lately, and I think the hardest thing is to always articulate exactly like, what's the value, right? And any business product or service and or service, like what, what is the, the business or the consumer and or both, what do they receive? So by doing, um, and it's, it's less about the process, like this 10, 10 minute, you know, um, breathing exercises, so I say, mm -hmm. like, what is the value, um, in a concise way, like what, what is it exactly that the person is getting by doing that? Yeah, I would say that the value comes from the fact that we're, we've got this pressure to work all the time and that it's been, you know, it's clear that every time we dream or anytime we take a break, our, our brain remains in problem solving. Um, uh, our brain remains in problem solving. Uh, and so what this does is structures the day or gives a little bit of time so that people can take an active intentional break um, and then gain more clarity on the problems that they're dealing with in their workday. Okay. So uh, I'll be a bit more direct. So the, the problem that you're trying to solve from what I hear is that you feel you, your thesis is I think people are, um, worn out a bit on their throughout their work day and where they're not taking the, I've always thought about this in, in terms of like a, I'll, I'll use a, an analogy, but, um, from a health wise mental is, is, is something that I think you're seeing a lot of these companies, one of which I think is now a unicorn like calm.com, how important mental health is, right? So your thesis and while I'm not sure yet, we're, we'll talk about that is, is this just niche in terms of, is this work stress? Is that the main problem you're trying to solve? Like how, how do we alleviate work stress? Cause there's a lot of different stresses, right? Um, or yeah so, so what's that first thing you're trying to solve like specifically or is it more of a, a higher level so this is a good question and um so it is work stress and that's definitely the way i need to pitch it but i i, I believe that for for an individual it's not just work stress or personal life it's all of it and it's all kind of in one you know we've got this frame of awareness that we're 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 witnessing everything from this one stream of awareness. And, um, and so it's, it's both work stress and life stress. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So I think when you think about a curriculum and before we fast forward too much, it's like, okay, well, if overall the problem I'm trying to solve is, uh, you know, to decompress, to uh, flush out and just reset my mental, my mental health, there's two, they kind of fork in the road. There's work and there's personal, right? Mm -hmm. So overall problem I'm trying to uh, solve is, you know, to alleviate stress um, we've got on one hand work on the other hand, um, uh, real, you know, your personal life, you might even have a third, which is like just personal, um, that kind of falls in under both, which, but let's just call it, let's just call it the two. You got work, you got personal life. Um, I think you always have to decide because in business, my first business that, well, my first tech business that failed was we weren't as focused mm. as we could have been. So when we think about a business, you know, it's always utopic. Every entrepreneur that's a visionary wants to solve the big problem. But when you start, you, you, you've got to really figure out, well, um, where do we think we can add value today? And what will be the, like, in terms of like the most, the minimum viable product, like what's the easiest for me to like choose, right? So maybe that's, um, and again, this is, this is kind of the, the way that I'm working through it is like, well, do I have more work stress because my personal stress is, is, is weighing me down? Do I think that like, do I think that work stress is something that is easier to solve, but is it really solving the bigger problem? I, I don't know if they're, they, cause they kind of go hand in hand. Mm. You got to choose one I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah. And then, okay, well, my solution is these which you've thought through is these 10, 10 minute, you know, break periods. Okay. Well, are they, do they all look, you know, do they all look like the same? Meaning is it the same system of uh, breathing process every single time times 10? Are they at the same time of the day? You know, when do I, if I miss one, you know, how, how do I, how do I build a product that reminds myself you know, so then there's the execution of it, but problem first, I think if we're just doing work, great. Now we've got the solution. I've chosen that my belief is 10, 10 minute sessions will definitely. And anytime I look at a business, especially like a high growth business, I look at like, is it 10 X better than it was, mm. right? Which is difficult to evaluate because this is emotional, right? It's mm. not objective, mm. but that's the great part of this business as well and mental health because like it is subjective, but there's the 80, 20 rule, right? Is 80% of the people going to feel a 10 X better feeling. Right. Um, that's what I'd ask myself. So, uh, have you gone through obviously outside of yourself? Have you gotten like feedback on people have done this and you know, how, how many days was this, mm -hmm. how consistent they have been, how they journal it. So can you walk me through like how you think about implementing it or sure. how do you have it? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing it about for about a month now and um, you know, I've got about a hundred people on the email list and I'd say about 10 to 20% of them are, are pretty engaged and go do at least one session um, a week. And then they've got um, and I've got about six or seven people who have been multiple sessions per week, at least one session. And then I've got like two people and both of those people who are both, and I got two people who are doing it every day. Um, and those two people are 
both founders of companies. Um, and they, the key issue is that they manage their time already um, uh, in a way that I think employees don't a lot. And the feedback I've been getting from one, one of them is doing it because he recognizes that he has anxiety and he recognizes that intentional breath is very helpful for, for anxiety. Uh, and the other one is more spiritually inclined and uh, grew up with these breathwork techniques and is now uh, in, in, in India and is now uh, finding it really great throughout his day uh, to, to, to go back to them because he already, he already, you know, it's, it's ingrained in his, in his body that, that, that these are very helpful. Um, did you, now here's a question while, while that makes, okay. So there's a couple of things, but I want to ask a few, few questions before mm-hmm. that. Had you, and I think this is all learning process. Like what is the appropriate, um, you know, in this term, in this, in this particular case, like the frequency where you're like, Hey, you have, um, about 10 to 20%. Let's just say, let's split the difference. 15 out of a hundred people are doing it once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those 15, what was it like five, six or whatever it is, is doing it several times a week, several mm-hmm. being two to three, right. Uh, or more. And then you have two, um, who are doing it every day. And then you gave the explanation that these two are entrepreneurs, some of which had a little experience of it, but also, solving different problems, but they've built a system. So then I walk back and I say, Hey, when you did this to your, when you were doing it with your own self, Hmm. you, and this is something, especially when you're doing and trying to, you know, find like the right metrics of things that are not quantifiable. Hmm. Hey, we want to test for like an emotional, really you're testing for like an emotional level, right? Was my level a month ago, you know, 10 times, um, worse than it is now. Right. Okay. Well, that was last month. We did it once, you know, every day. And I found this result now again, subjective, but that was the first test. Then there's the month of October. I decide to, you know, either turn it up or turn it down, whatever you started off with. Like, did you figure out, Hey, or did you kind of just say, Hey, like, do it as much as you can. What, what was that specifically when you communicated on this email list for the hundred people, was there a drawn out, like this is the recommended or like almost mandated? Like how did you communicate that in the email? How did I communicate what? To, to like in terms of frequency that they should practice these sessions. Oh, I didn't communicate that at all. Gotcha. But, yeah. Well, what I think is a really big positive even if it is two, one, it's like, okay, anytime you look at any business, people want to know not the quantity, but the quality, mm-hmm. just like life. And that means in this particular case, like you have people that are doing it every single day, which means that they're obsessive about it and clearly they see value in it. Now, you don't have to talk to these two people, right? Like you're going through this understanding of tell me about your experience, but you have at least people doing it the maximum amount you can do, mm. right? Without, a, with, w- without giving them a specific regimen, mm. you've had people who, and that's what's interesting, are already good at building systems for themselves, hence they're entrepreneurs, uh, probably successful ones, which is why they didn't need guidance. But most people aren't successful because they can't build a system, right? It's difficult for them to do. So if you say, hey, next month, I'm going to do it again, let's say with a different you know, different people. And I'm going to tell them, not ask, I'm going to mandate that if you want to see 10 X results, 
you must do, you know, and again, that, that, that's your choice. Is it every day? Do you think people are going to do it every day? I don't know what that number is. And then you'll see, okay, well, how effective is it? Right. That measurement of, of, does that make sense? Yeah. So it's essentially what I'm getting from this is, uh, that entrepreneurs already know how to do this. Uh, and if I'm going to make this a value to people who are not entrepreneurs that I need to then communicate that if you want this to be a value, this is how you want to use that. And then really explain to them how to use it and how to turn it into, and then I provide the system for them. Right. I think anytime you're trying something that, I mean, change in general is always difficult for people. And so if you can build a system, tell them that this, you, you will receive X in value, which is in this case, you're going to feel 10 times better than you did a month ago. If you do it a day, a day, every single day, Uh if you do it three times uh, a week, right. Or four times every other, every other day, you're going to feel maybe three times better. Right. So, you know, giving them those instructions and then seeing what people do. I mean, again, it's just, the hardest thing about whether it's losing weight or it's executing on business, it's just the successful people are disciplined. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in this case, this is something that um, clearly we've seen in other, it, it works, but it's that discipline. So you got to give them some sort of structure. And that's, and that's essentially what I've seen. My role as is I am providing them the discipline and I am providing them the space to be there. But what I'm getting from this is essentially that I need to communicate I can't just put it out there and say, Hey, you know, join, I actually have to communicate. This is what you'll get out of it. If you do this with me and I'm there every day, I am providing the structure. You don't have to worry about the structure. Although in, in your, in your life, you'll find more benefit. If you were able to do this, this is what I'm providing. And you can use me as a kind of a, a stepping stone. Right. And I think now that you have the two people uh, who are doing it every day and clearly seeing value in it, you can use those case studies of saying, listen, if you do it every day, I mean, always the best analogy is weight loss. Like mm-hmm. these programs that, you know, I don't think outside of now in Asia, but specifically in North America, like how much we charge per month for these programs to do weight loss. But they're, they are 100%. If you follow this X, you will receive Y. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. Right. And Sometimes people, it's just in general, they need to, they need you to guide them to that visualization mm. and say, listen, you do this 30 days, you get this, you did, you know, and, and just guiding them along, you're going to have hopefully a, a, a much higher amount of people that, uh, that, that actually do it and will see the value. And then yeah. You're there. So, yeah, so I, uh, so I've got this, essentially I'm going to develop a curriculum. We're going to talk and, and that curriculum will be motivated towards achieving some sort of goal of mental health, maybe probably anxiety or productivity or something like that. And then, um, we'll do an, you know, this is X, we want to get you to Y, but in order to have you get you from X to Y, you need to do this every day. I'm there every day. So you can piggyback off of my discipline in order to essentially establish a routine and get you where you need to go. Yeah. I, it, coincidentally, I'm, I'm reading a book um, about halfway done. It's quite easy to read. It's called How to Get What You Want in Seven Weeks. I don't know. Some, some, some uh, decent review on Amazon, so I got it. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, all these books say the same thing. Yep. <laughs> Develop a process, um, but be disciplined to start tomorrow, right? And if you do it, you will see better results, right? It's, it's, it's known. It's been done enough times that 
you will, right? Very cool. Okay, that that was very helpful. Um, and now I need to now I know what I need to do for uh, uh, getting the next stage of this curriculum. I'm trying to think of. I guess the other things I would love to get your opinion on are are, are sales. Um, um, did you ever face it? How did you learn sales? Um, at a really young age, mm. um, my, my, my parents, so being adopted, um, we have this interesting complex about ourselves. We're always, it's a, it's, it's a self-worth problem. Mm. Um, you look at some of the most successful people, they're always trying to prove themselves. Um, and so my parents didn't, you know, we grew up in a middle class, uh, but when I was 12, my dad like basically kind of shoved me out the door and said, knock on everybody's neighbor, you know, knock on every neighbor's door and go ask to mow their lawn. So I think at a really young age, and that was my first business, I started a landscaping business. Um, I learned how to speak to people in a way that um, was just, I'm trying to help. That's what sales is. You know, are you selling a product or service that is going to add value for what you're offering? You know, typically a price, right? And um, and if you genuinely believe in what you're offering, um, the person will buy. So are you a good person? And do you work hard? You will be a good salesperson. You will learn everything. Um, and that's definitely learning. It's a learning by doing job. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and now I'm getting like a little, little bit of experience. And the main thing that I'm facing is this just kind of squeamishness about, uh, asking directly what, you know, once we've already established the value and everything like that, asking directly, like we both know that it's valuable. And, you know, I like one of the guys who's been following along with the breath work, he's been like, I want to bring this into my team. And I've got this block in my, in my, in myself about actually like, uh, essentially closing the deal. Uh, and, uh, and that's, it's, it's been hard and I don't, don't really know what to do about it. Although I'm getting better at a conversation yesterday where I actually said the price and, and we didn't close it, but we, we, uh, we came to an agreement. So, um, or we didn't come to an exact agreement, but he, I was able to say the price and say that this is something that we do for money. But so, um, how did you arrive to the price that you were offering? Uh, in various conversations, uh, so somebody first said that it could be the price of a coffee. Um, and then I talked with somebody else and I think it could be actually a little bit more, particularly if it's organizations that are paying for it. Um, so I, I came to about 15, 15 to $20 in that conversation. I just, it kind of came to me at the moment. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you can be, so one, just at a high level, I think every single entrepreneur always undervalues what they offer, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's a great product or not. Um, and let's just use the example that it is great. Everyone undervalues. Mm-hmm. It's just like you almost feel bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there's the the you lead to, okay, well, we could do a market analysis. You could look at like, what are the apps charging? What are the successful you know, companies charging? Or you can be direct and say, hey, listen, you know, um, you, know you would be one of my first clients. What do you think it's worth? Mm-hmm. Which everybody always gives a lower number than they're willing to pay. That's mm-hmm. just how people are, 
right? It's not like they're being disingenuous about it. It's, 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 it's just negotiation, right? So you can simply be direct and say, well, and I always, when I frame something in terms of sales, I always say like, I walk them through the value that they've received. And when I mean walk, I mean, they walk themselves. Mm-hmm. Ask questions for them to say, hey, so we started this program a month ago, correct? And how did you feel before? Get them to verbalize in this particular case, like the value that they've received so they can internalize it. And then the answer that you will get, one, is going to be a lot closer than to what they'll pay, mm-hmm. but they'll pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, and you, you never dealt with this essentially like squeamishness. You've never, have you ever seen it in anybody else about like the squeamishness of like in particularly beginning people who are starting sales and stuff like that? This just. Oh, every time. I think because, you know, I think in general, and this, this is something I've been really thinking about a lot in terms of, you know, why, why certain people, businesses, countries are successful really comes down to confidence. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's not, you know, my opinion, it, it is a fact that Americans are the best salesmen. Um, we create an experience that you can't really quantify. We're just, we're just good at sales, but everybody, when they start, you're just less confident, right? If I say, um, the price is this and the way, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the annotation in my voice, the, um, what's the word I'm thinking about how I'm saying it is, is everything right. You know, is it confident? Then that person feels it's that transfer of emotion. They believe it's worth that. Mm -hmm. So especially when you're dealing with a product like this, you know, if you record yourself today and and go over a pitch and the more and more success stories that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, you fast forward, even a couple months from now, you're going to sell it for a higher price purely because you believe it more and more. So it's a validation, right? So it's part of that validation, that confidence. Um, every, every time you're selling something new, especially that is, is not that common mm. uh, yet in the market mm. and even more complex, something you're selling that's not, not, not objective <laughs> is, is, is really, is really coming down to you. Like, yeah. Yeah. you're the, you know, yeah, I mean, they're going to interpret it however they're going to interpret it. Yeah, so what I'm getting is essentially that I need to get a lot more practice and essentially just do a lot more calls and 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 I've got this product that I now believe in and I'm starting to develop how it is actually valuable and being able to articulate it. And now I just need to be able to have three or four calls a day of essentially like um, a- a- asking them questions about their lives already and then asking them questions about their mental health and understanding it and then proposing a solution that I already know is valuable and, and, um, and then, and just presenting it to them in a, in a very clear way. Yeah. I think the easiest way is now that you've already laid the groundwork, mm-hmm. talking to customers mm-hmm. is the best way you will gain, uh, confidence. Mm-hmm. And so first speak to the ones that love it the most that do it the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, really try to on the most granular level, understand like what, what, what gets them going and then talk to the people that are doing several times a week. Mm -hmm. You know, why do they choose to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, 
why didn't you only do it once? What was the interest? Did you do it for me? No, you probably did it for yourself. But like, what is it that, you know, you're getting out of it? I, I want to be able to communicate that to others. And then you talk to the people who did it once, even though it's 15 people. Those 15 people are, are something that you'd have to obsess about and try to understand, like, you're getting something. Um, I'd love to hear how we can make this experience better, you know? Um, and then bringing that to, like, you, you, as you're saying, well, okay, then now I'll know all the, you know, I'll do the analysis on the, the next customers. First, start with the ones that you've already done. Mm. Yep. Very cool. All right. This has been really helpful for me. <laughs> hopefully it'll be helpful for my listeners and hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll get an understanding of, of your expertise, which is, is, is clear. Um, and, uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about what you're doing? Sure. Uh, you can email me at, uh, Steve Glod, S T E V E G L O D at gmail.com. Or of course my, my work email, Steve at, Machinio, M-A-C-H-I-N-I-O.com. I'm, I'm pretty uh, neurotic about my email, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer quickly and um, can certainly hit me up with any, any questions or just down for a, a jam session call. I, I'm up for it. Very cool. Thank you so much, Steve. All right. All the best. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next 100 years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks, have a great day. Thank you.